The Short Change Podcast is made possible by our friends at Super. Super is a fundraising platform that helps activists and creators like us build community around the causes we support. What's really cool is Super has partnered with incredible mission-driven brands to offer discount codes, perks, and monthly giveaways right back to the donors. I have personally worked with the team at Super for a while now, and I am totally inspired by their vision for a new way of generosity that is collective, accessible, and more impactful. Super is a one-stop shop to compound our giving power and activate our purchasing power to make a positive impact on our planet and in our communities. Our short change fund at Super allows listeners like you to support us in the amazing organizations going through the Little Bit of Good capacity building program in one place while giving you an inside look into the progress these organizations are making in their communities. Check it out and join the community at heysuper.com shortchanged. Welcome to the Short Change Podcast, where we seek to understand why and how organizations and leaders driving important change in our communities are coming up short. Alongside experts and changemakers, we'll uncover and untangle the structures built to accelerate good, but too often slow it down. But we won't stop there. We'll explore innovative ideas and new paths forward so that organizations, and therefore our communities, get what they are due. I'm Monique. And I'm Taylor. Whether you lead a for good movement, support a cause, or just want to be equipped to engage and give well, you are in the right place. We're so glad you're here. Welcome, everybody, to the Short Changed Podcast. This is episode one. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. The first episode. The first episode. And you guys are here. And we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. And all of you have encouraged us along along the way of, of building this out. And just thank you times a million. Um, yes. We are going to have some really powerful and compassionate conversations on this podcast. And we are so excited to share them with you. Yes. So, so excited to um, spend this season talking to a ton of change makers and community builders. The goal of the Short Change Podcast is really to understand why and how organizations and leaders really driving important change in our communities are mm. actually coming up short. Um, you know, and while we spend a lot of time learning about these high level structures, we also want to invite all of you, whether you are a nonprofit leader, a neighbor, a community activist, we want to invite you into these collective solutions and hopefully, you know, see the opportunity for change within your role, um, you know, in nonprofit, in community. That's so good. Uh, collective solutions. I've been thinking a lot about about that. Um, and I read this quote recently by Martin Luther King Jr. that says, all men and women are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly, um, which is exactly that. <sighs> Speaks back to those collective solutions. We are We are all in this together. And one of the things that is really slowing down this good that that should be flowing through our communities is 
racial inequities that exist in philanthropic funding, which is why we have decided to to start here with with this podcast. Yes. Um, when I decided to go ahead and start a little bit of good, I started first with a ton of research. I am a data mm. girl and I, I wanted to it. see what the actual, you know, philanthropic landscape looked like for Black-led organizations, for BIPOC-led organizations. And in doing some of that research, I found some pretty jaw-dropping stats, maybe because I'm new to the sector, maybe not, but Mm -hmm. um, stats like there's a $20 million Mm -hmm. deficit in unrestricted funding between white-led and Black-led organizations. uh, said by the NRGC. Uh, New Profit reports that organizations led by Black and Latinx um, leaders only receive an estimated 4% of total grants and com- contributions year over year, which is pretty insane to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we think about funding to these Black and Brown led organizations, we're supporting organizers that are closest to the issue, who are leading solutions based off of lived experience, which is so, Mm. so important. Really driving equity in the sector is strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this episode, not only are we bringing you along with us to understand the inequities and inefficiencies that exist, we're also going to learn about recent innovative solutions that are really creating more equity in philanthropy today. Yes, and we have such a brilliant leader guiding us in this discussion today. And we are so excited to welcome Yada Peng. She has over 25 years of experience in the nonprofit and philanthropic industries. She has built platforms and spaces that shift power to chronically underfunded frontline organizations by helping them build long-term, reliable, small donor revenue. Um, She's created platforms and spaces that center people closest to the issues to amplify their ideas, experiences, and solutions. She's also built these platforms and spaces that promote dignity, justice, and equality. And the most recent gift she has given to the sector and therefore the world is Just Fund, an innovative online portal that connects funders directly to organizations to help move resources more quickly while facilitating greater trust, transparency, and accountability in philanthropy. You are going to be blown away today by her ideas. Liotta, we're so happy you're here with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, uh, I'm thrilled uh, for the conversation that we're going to have ever since uh, our primer chat and really just getting to know a little bit more about you and the Just Fun and the way that we connected. I am pumped for the gems in today's Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, But Um, just kind of setting the stage, you know that we're working to really untangle the structures that are shortchanging our for good organizations and ultimately, you know, our communities. And one of the biggest obstacles, which is why, you know, we're starting our first season here, um, but one of the biggest obstacles to flourishing communities is racial inequity. And we wanted to see if you could just set the stage in helping our listeners understand um, some of the high-level trends or um, gaps, opportunities around uh, racial inequity in philanthropy. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, philanthropy is such an interesting ecosystem. I mean, we are moving collectively $450 billion annually to nonprofits, mm. right? And 4% wow. of those dollars go to our communities of color. So just to like level set wow. the disparity in distribution, black and, and brown led mm. organizations, our, our black and brown communities is really um, a nice important signaler to what's happening in philanthropy and, and more importantly, what's not happening. And what's not happening is we are not moving money to communities who are closest to the issues, who are closest to the problems, and therefore, you know, closest to solutions, to real solutions to some of the most um, important crises facing our country. So philanthropy has the ability to change the way we give. And if we did change the way we give, our communities could thrive. But right now we are chronically underfunding and excluding the most important um, communities around the nation. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that disparity. And we also see the reasons why there's such a huge disparity in the distribution. I mean, our systems currently in philanthropy are incredibly, as you said at the top, inequitable, right? I mean, and, and you think about what, mm. what, is, what does that mean? How is a system inequitable? Yes. And you think about, well, who, who, who applies for funding, right? Who even knows how to apply for funding? Who knows the networks? Who knows the funders? Who knows how to fill out an application? Who can apply when applications for funding take between 15 to 25 hours? Mm. An application, 30% of the time you apply. So who has the luxury to be able to do that, right? Who has right. the knowledge, the skills, the relationships, the know-how to access that funding? Just that barrier in and of itself one of the biggest barriers preventing mm, our black mm. and brown led organizations from accessing resources, mm. right? We're not in the know. We don't have the networks. We don't have the relationships. It's an incredibly expensive endeavor, grant making, you know, and, and, and applying for funding. So yeah. um, when we think about equity, we have to really think about not just the like DEI, you know, what percent of our income, which is important, what percent of our, of our grant making actually is going to black and brown communities, but we have to think about the how. Mm we do philanthropy and to change the how so that we can make it accessible to everyone. Such a good wow. point, just in terms of separating how we do philanthropy from specific DEI initiatives. Because I do think that's a place where a lot of organizations and funders get stuck is like, but wait, no. We have a DEI strategy. We give to people of color, but really taking the time to think about equitable structures, the how. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because of these disparities that you're talking about in philanthropy, what, what impacts does this have on the black and brown led organizations and then therefore the communities? And let's think a little bit short term, but also long-term. So maybe like what you actually are, what we are seeing right now and what could continue if we. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know going. that black led organizations specifically are 91% smaller than their white led counterparts. Mm. Right. So when wow. you think about that, you can think about this from a lot of different ways. One, they don't have the resources to meet the needs of their community in the same way that our white led organizations do. So just taking that mm. snapshot, you think about how our culture and philanthropy is around high-performing, effective, um, you know, organizations. What it, that really becomes code word for white-led. 
Because if you want to talk about high performing, Mm -hmm. high achieving, highly effective organizations, well, those are the ones generally speaking with more infrastructure able to have benchmarks and outcomes that that you want to see when you've defined what high performing and effective means. But when you're looking at our smaller, very Mm -hmm. nimble, very effective in my mind, because they're solving systemic problems, real needs in their communities, like our metrics aren't built in such a way that are, are, are elevating and centering our black and brown led organization. We're 91% smaller, generally under a quarter of a million dollars in budget size, right? That means they maybe have an mm-hmm. ED or a part-time executive director, but they probably don't have a grant writer, probably not a small donor manager. Mm-hmm. So their ability to generate income and build their build their um, grant-based revenue is really tough. Mm-hmm. Perpetuating the mm-hmm. cycle of small and not giving these you know, important yeah. organizations, the, the infrastructure they need to actually, you know, make the impact that they, they want to see the way that we are with white led, you know, quote unquote, high, high achieving organizations. Mm. And I think if we continue in this trend, you know, we are just, it's just another way that America um, dis- displays its systemic racism mm. against black and brown communities. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, wow, philanthropy is, yeah. you know, racist. It's not, we shouldn't be surprised about that. Like most systems in America are. Right. Um, but we actually mm-hmm. can change our systems and change the way we give and 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 really have direct Im- a, a direct change yeah. um improvement in how and how yeah. our communities are funded it's not it, it's not that complicated in other words like we're seeing really great innovations that can move the money yes to mm-hmm. communities who've been excluded and with some of these innovations mm-hmm. i love yeah. to think about impact because i think there's a lot of question around why, you know, we need to make some of these more foundational changes to just the way the the grant process or the funding process instead of, you know, why can we just make sure that we're giving money to these communities? But in terms of the things that you've seen with organizations and foundations who have made changes to these structures and to changes in how they do this, what were some of the positive impacts either to the way the foundation was able to show impact or also, you know, positive impact on the organization they collaborated with? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing about philanthropy that we're really good at is rapid response funding. Mm. We're very good when our people are dying. Very good in moments of crisis, Mm. right? Like you just think about um, what's happening this week right now. And, you know, the young man in in Kansas City who was shot twice Mm. um, for being wrong address at the wrong time, right? And, you know, their family in a course of 24 hours has raised over $3 million, right? We are good at crisis fundraising, Mm -hmm. but we're not good at Mm long-term infrastructure, you know, and relationships with groups. So like, let's let's check in in six months and see where the interest Mm -hmm. is as a nation, you know, to this situation, this terrible, horrible situation in, in Kansas City where, you know, we, we, we're good in times of crisis. So I think what we have to do in philanthropy is really get out of that, what I think is a super racist way to fund. Like when our people are dying, we show up, but we're not investing to prevent the crisis. Mm. We need to be investing to prevent the crisis and be there long yeah. after the crisis, right? Make sure people have the opportunity mm-hmm. to take care of their communities um, before the crisis happens. Um, so I think, you know, what I'm yeah. seeing in philanthropy is really actually exciting. And I think the best wrapping paper that I've seen, you know, or framework that I've seen is this trust-based philanthropy, you know, that 
women of color designed and built, you know, amazing um, leaders in this space, really thinking through how can we give in a way that helps really meet a community where they are and give them, you know, and provide the, the resources and the infrastructure required. So you're thinking about like multi-year, long-term, right, operating support grants. Mm. That's the what we're doing. And then the how is also really beautiful. You know, um, more um, just, you know, faster grants. Some folks are leaning into participatory grant making, allowing folks closer to the issues to make decisions. And some folks are just like, here are the requirements. If you meet them, we're going to fund you. Right, just getting money out more quickly through innovative ways, and and we know what philanthropy can do because we've seen it. We saw it in in the global yeah. pandemic what philanthropy could do. If when we wanted to, when we needed mm-hmm. to, we were able to to shift our practice to move more money. So there's nothing really stopping us from continuing those types of models um, in perpetuity. Yeah, and there, and I know this was a conversation that we had offline with you about equity in philanthropy but kind of reframing equity to strategy. So can you talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, I think, that? you know, to Monique's point earlier, you know, we are thinking about equity really through a DEI lens. You know, we want to, like, we're thinking about mm-hmm. it in that framework. And and I don't, it doesn't really matter to me how people come into this space to want to fund Black and Brown-led organizations. Just come on in, you know, come on in and fund us. Um, <laughs> but I will say that to me, this isn't about equity. This is a strategic play, right? If we really want to make progress on anything that we all care about, we have to fund people closest to the issues and closest, you know, and and and, and who have direct lived experience. Like that is strategic. Mm-hmm. We can we can make the progress we want to yeah. see when we get the resources down to people who who are actually in the issue and in the problem. Um, it's not just about equity. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of what I get from your conversation is like, there's a lot of opportunity to be innovative in this space. And one thing that I wrote down that you said, it's like, we're not investing to prevent the crisis. And a lot of the time, I think because I play in both sides of the for-profit and the nonprofit, I always go back to the kind of startup uh, analogy and these investors are investing money in these startup ideas and they're supporting Mm -hmm. them so that they grow and they grow huge. But there's a need for a return when it comes to that investment. But when I think about nonprofit, I'm like, this is the coolest opportunity for these investors Hmm. or foundations, these granting organizations to be, and I hate the word risky because it's not risk, but to be innovative in how we partner Hmm. with these nonprofit organizations to prevent and create sustainable long-term solutions. Hmm. Um, But I want to ask you from your perspective, do you feel like funders have lost their ability or capacity even to dream in terms of what we can do with philanthropy? I think that's such an interesting question and such a great context in terms of, you know, I I believe philanthropy, and I'm not the one who said this, you know, Rob Reich has written a lot about this from Stanford, you know, around the fact that philanthropy was designed to be society's risk capital. It's the one entity that can take risks, you know, and I mean, in other words, 
not always have to, to fund the winning solution. And in fact, if we want to solve systemic issues, we want to like cure cancer, we're going to fail before we win, you know, mm-hmm. before we succeed. And we, we are ready for that because we understand that you've got to yeah. fail before you get to the right solution. And, and in fact, in talking with one of my, um, one of my investors who founded a, a big online company, I asked, you know, tell me about your success. How'd you get here? And what he said was very interesting for me because he, he said, you know, well, it took me five times. I tried to build this platform five times before I got it right. And I was just sort of blown away. And I said, wow, you know, who, how <laughs> you go to, to get more money after you failed? Cause surely those investors didn't want to come along with you after you failed. And he's like, what? No, they invested in me to fail. Hmm. because they knew that the more I failed, the faster I failed, the closer I would get to the right solution. Hmm. I think that's just a great description of what we can be doing in philanthropy, right? Investing hmm. in people to fail fast and get to the right solution. But if we are funding in a way that we have to constantly be tap dancing and here's the impact and here's what we did that was so great, we're not going to get to the root of the problems. We're not going to have the space and the freedom to experiment and fail and actually identify um, hmm. you know, that can create systemic change. And if we can create the culture and the environment where, yeah, we're failing all the time. Look, I can put it, make it pretty and put makeup on it, but I'm failing all the time. And in fact, I am with my team at Just Fund, we, we work on failure. We want to fail. Mm. We know that the faster we fail and eliminate options, we're going to find those winning solutions to move more yeah. money to movements. In for-profit, in tech, failing fast is truly like a philosophy that we live by because there's so much growth and learning in that, but there's so many parameters when it comes to nonprofit and reporting that makes it almost scary Mm. at all to mess up, let alone fail. Right. And I mean, even the systems that I love, you know, in technology around like agile business planning, you know, you can do, you know, two week sprints and you run your experiments within those sprints and you, really clearly identify the hypothesis, what you're testing, what you think is going to happen. And then you fail and you try something new and you fail and you try something new until you get, it's like built into the culture. And let's do that. Mm. Let's do that. Let's give our our communities the freedom to really fail and experiment. And and we're going to come up with some winning solutions. And I think what we have inherited from, from tech and from venture capital is like the parts that aren't healthy in nonprofits, in my opinion, of like, I want that ROI in six months. I just gave you $10,000. Why didn't you hit XYZ target? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, no, this is like a long-term, you know, thing. And, and, mm-hmm. and I need to be fully funded before I can actually hit those deliverables, not just your 10,000 out of the hundred thousand that I needed mm-hmm. I get fully funded. So I can't actually, you know, accomplish those goals, those goals, the way that you want me to. Yeah. So we, we just ask nonprofits to do more with less and imagine what we could accomplish if we could just do more with more. The Short Change Pod does not exist without our sister organization, Little Bit of Good. Little Bit of Good is on a mission to eradicate funding inequity in the nonprofit sector. Our first step is through our four-month capacity-building program for Black-led organizations. The first cohort just kicked off, and we can't wait to see how these six organizations soar. You can join our community of activators by supporting the Shortchanged Fund at heysuper.com shortchanged. You can also follow along and support all things Little Bit of Good on our website, littlebitofgood.org, or on Instagram at littlebitofgood underscore. We're also on LinkedIn. Do your little bit of good today.
Why do you think that is? Why is why does this culture of risk aversion exist in the philanthropy world and then the relationships with funders and nonprofits? Well, I actually think these are these are really systemic issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you think about a program officer who has to build a portfolio, right? Defend that portfolio to their team, to their mm-hmm. board. How are you presenting that portfolio? What are what are you up against? Like you have to show how the groups you're investing in are making a difference towards that issue you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the systems themselves are structured in a way that we have to prove success and prove it quickly. Right. Versus if you have a situation where, you know, program officers, you know, have their freedom to talk about, hey, what did you invest in that didn't work? How come, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or like, what are you going to do next? How are you going to invest in them to do something like having that culture and that freedom? I mean, it stems from how our institutions are structured and the pressure, I think, that felt I mean, I've never worked in formal traditional philanthropy. But what I've seen, you know, from my colleagues who do work there, there's a lot of pressure, right, to to prove that these investment strategies are producing some kind of outcome that the board or that that foundation is intending to see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to take that long-term approach, but our, I think our actual systems aren't built to do that in a lot of cases. And you see a lot of foundations that are that are doing things differently. There are some really, I think, great examples. I'm a big fan of JPB Foundation, for example, you know, where they are really investing long-term, multi-year you know, general operating, freedom to fail. Like, what are you learning? That's the question I get from my program officer all the time. What'd you learn, right? And Gates is doing some of the similar work there too, where it's not even a question if it's multi-year. It's definitely three years or more, right? Should be. Time, you're going to get it wrong before you get it right. And that's all important information. You know, I was a competitive gymnast growing up and we failed all the time. And what what did we do? We didn't like turn a a blind, we, we didn't like turn away from the failures. We like investigated those failures. How come you fell? How come you yeah. did this? Why did you get this point off? And we would try to address it, right? Versus mm-hmm. like, oh, well, cover your <laughs> eyes and let's just try something else, you know, or or pretend right. like it didn't happen. Like right. I, really investing in failure to learn, I think is absolutely key. And it's part of the culture change that we need to see. And it was the origination of philanthropy. Yeah. We just really far away from it. Hmm. What are, and you've kind of mentioned a few of these throughout, throughout our conversation, but what are some of the, the shifts in philanthropy that are, that are toward this more equitable system that you are excited about? And specifically, feel free to, uh, brag about Just Fund. We want to hear more about the amazing things that you're doing through your organization. Listen, I have been in this, in philanthropy for, you know, in building nonprofits for 25 years and, in those 25 years, throughout those 25 years, everyone has been talking about a common grant application. We just yeah. know it makes sense. So where is yes. it? Why has it taken this long? Like, why haven't we all moved into this space? And, you know, when I started hearing this conversation and realizing how much time it takes for groups to apply, right? Mm-hmm. 20 to 25 hours of application time, how hard it is for them to find new partners. And we have this incredible model in the College Common app. We just... Yeah. We just started building it at Just Fund, and you know we have the common uh, the common grant application on Just Fund, which is I think amazing. You know you have two parts to the common app. You have your common profile that mm-hmm. groups fill out one time, mm-hmm. and then you have the specific questions from each fund. What does that mean? Firstly, it means that a group spending about sixty minutes to apply the first time with their common profile and those those specific questions to, from each fund. 
But what it also means is when you come into the Just Fund platform and you fill out that common app, you can use that common app to apply over and over again to new foundations, right? And, and new funding opportunities. So if the funders using Just Fund, the groups can see them and can apply if they're a fit, right? Mm. So we've moved $210 million as a community on Just Fund using this equitable wow. solution, operationalized the common app. But the number that excites me the most is what I call the leverage number or the secondary grants number. That's 119 million of that 210. What that means is 58% of the funding on Just Fund are secondary grants. A group comes in to apply to Fund A, but sees Fund B on the platform and applies there and gets funded by that fund. So wow. we're giving groups access to new funding opportunities and the funders, just by virtue of using Just Fund, are saying to groups, you know, we want you to know we exist, yeah. right? And um, and we're starting to see that kind of leverage. And, you know, the other number that really excites me is that Just Fund, we've saved organizations 28 years, 244,000 hours oh. of application time just by implementing a solution wow. grounded in the common grant application. That is but, incredible. You say 28 years? 28 yeah. years. <laughs> years. Years. And how long has Just Fund been in existence? We've been in existence since December 2017. And Insane. we've run, you know, 142 funds on the platform. We have over 10,000 organizations in, in the platform. Um, and it's just the beginning, right? Because, you know, my dream is I want 500 funds in this in this platform so groups can find many matches. We can, you know, in Just Fund, we're tracking to see who's funding what so you can really leverage each other's due diligence. We don't have to make mm-hmm the same due, due diligence processes when we see that colleagues have, have already made the decisions to fund them. And now in 2023, we're turning to what I call our second mountain. Now that we have this beautiful mm-hmm. living, breathing database of 10,000 plus organizations, 150 new orgs coming in every month applying for open grant cycles, we can now allow individual donors and donor and you know advised fund holders and philanthropic advisors, institutional mm-hmm. um, philanthropy to come into the portal and find and fund, right? You can actually come into just fund search about around 26 different filters and tags that the groups actually um, put on their common app themselves. And you can find work happening right now in your communities that you can fund. Wow. And I do just quickly for the, the people who aren't uh, fully familiar with just fund, we definitely want to get your kind of general pitch when people don't know what it is. What is Just Fund? But I think for me personally, I'd love to find out, like, what was your kind of personal call to action when 2017, okay, we're going to launch this? And I'm giving you multi-parts here. (laughs) Third, I think because I'm very interested in what tech can do to really accelerate the nonprofit sector, would love to know, you know, how you've utilized technology Mm -hmm. and philanthropy to kind of push things along a bit faster? Yeah, great questions. And and I'll say I, in 2017, I was working at a donor network, an amazing donor network that I have a mm-hmm. lot of um, love for called Solidaire, mm-hmm. which is a, a network trying to move money in solidarity with social movements. Mm-hmm. What we found pretty early on was our values and our practices were misaligned. You know, we wanted to move money in solidarity with social movements, but we'd, we ran grant cycles where we would get 300 applications. We'd go through a, a cross-class giving decision-making process, um, and then we'd fund 15 groups. 
285 mm-hmm. unbelievable organizations would go into the trash can. I mean, there's nothing we could do for those orgs, right? And mm-hmm. sitting here looking at this process and the amount of energy it took from our team to like run these grant cycles, manage that participatory or that cross-class giving process to get to the 15. And then, you know, that's mm-hmm. it. They each get $25,000 and that's the end. Mm-hmm. What if we had a technology that could elevate those proposals to all of our members the ones we funded, the ones who didn't get funded. We just, I just knew that those groups could find a match. Yeah. That was the feeling in my heart that mm-hmm. helped me build Just Fun. Like we want to make it simple Amazing. to apply, right? Simple, super simple. Because we'd see our friends and colleagues out there also asking the same groups that we were funding to apply via different modes, different you know platforms, different s- systems. What if we just got together and said, we're just going to take one common app? Hmm. And then we talk, I talked to folks, you know, Emergent Fund, Defending the Dream Fund, Amplify Fund, all said, yeah, we're in, let's do it. So we designed what we thought we needed. We, of course, looked at all like the 32 states that have common grant templates, Word documents for the groups in their states to be able to know what kind of questions they need to fill out if they want to seek funding from foundations in that state. We looked at all of that and we came up with our own Just Fund common grant application, right? And mm-hmm. um, we ran three funds back then in 2017 and um, saw how much time it saved for organizations. And by the mm-hmm. way, Just Fund helps save time for the funder too. Mm-hmm. We have incredible, to your point, Monique, around technology, what technology can do. We can save all of that administrative time, putting dockets together, analyzing. So what, valuable. Analyzing mm-hmm. You can do one-click PDF dockets on Just Fund, one-click wow. PSV downloads, right, where you can download an Excel file of every question in the Common App, the responses plus the supplemental questions, run analytics on who applied and who you funded. It's just so much rich data that can inform our grant making. So at Just Fund, we're trying to make it simple and easy, right, to seek and distribute funding. Mm. Like it should be easy for people to apply. It should be easy for us to get money out the door. And for we've we've just overcomplicated the system over the years. Right. I'm hearing you say nobody's having fun, both sides. (laughs) Nobody's enjoying themselves. We've got to do it differently. (laughs) I mean, it's just, you know, so much busy busyness that keeps us, we say it just fun money moves at the speed of trust. And I think Hmm. on the the funder side, we're caught up in this administrative process and here's how you use the, the, the portal that, you know, you need to make your grant, you know, application and all these kinds of mechanical pieces, the transactional pieces, we lose the transformative side, right? The relational side, they get to know you said the connective tissue side. That's yeah. so important to moving money when we're stuck in the admin, you know, and stuck in the transactional side of grant making. And that's actually what Just Fund seeks to do. Let us take on the administrative and transactional side of your grant making, right? Pooled funds, collaborative funds, giving circles, foundations doing regranting, organizations doing regranting. We want you to be freed up to do the transformative because we believe more money will move. Mm. Yeah. Our only North Star at Just Fund is how much money are we moving? Mm-hmm. We're a nonprofit. We're not here to make money. We're here to move money. And so mm-hmm. it's very exciting when you have that kind of an orientation to just, you get to experiment. And technology is a great tool for experimentation. To your point around what can you do, we can do all kinds of things to help more money move, especially now as we get to Second Mountain and start inviting individuals in yeah. to use the database to find and fund. Well, let's deploy matching grants. Let's see if we can, um, you know, try different um, methods to get people to move money. What if I say, hey, um, if anyone funds this group this week, we'll match you dollar for dollar. And you can, what kind Ah. of group, you know, if, um, you know, Monique funded this one group, you know, Taylor, if you fund this group too, we're going to match you both, you know, dollar for, we can do a lot of that kind of testing. 
We can do um, and, and motivating to get people to move money. We can control, right, who, what groups come up in someone's search, mm. right? And we can we can surface, all platforms can do this, right? Our algorithms, we can surface groups that have been, that are Black-led. We can surface groups that are BIPOC-led or whatever our, our filters are. We can surface groups that haven't gotten funding in the past X days. Wow. We can surface groups with smaller organizational budget sizes. Like we can choose to, instead of centering quote unquote, high-performing organizations, right. we can choose to center the ones that need the funding who are doing the hard work on the front lines. Like that can be a choice we make. Hmm. And then we can drive, you know, matching funds or other incentives to get folks to move money to those communities. And then all of the incredible uh, funders on Just Fund will call a little bit of good so we can help <laughs> their organizations Use that, that money is. to scale. It's just, it's perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect circle. I mean, it is. There's a lot of sparks out there, you know, mm. um, of innovation that can actually change the way we give. Mm. Really reset philanthropy for good. And mm. you need to be working in partnership and um, getting excited for each other, right? And, 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 and celebrating these really, I think, big wins. I mean, the fact that we have the nation's first common grant application. That's a big deal. Huge. You know, yeah, I mean, you want a common app, we've got it. We will administer mm-hmm. grants end to end. You know, there's, that's a really big innovation. And, and I think there's a lot of folks out there doing really cool things that I think you'll be talking with later on in this mm-hmm. series of folks who are just bottom line, want to see our communities thrive. Mm-hmm. And we know I, that for them to thrive, we've got to direct resources their way. Snaps to that. I think leaning on you as we um, start to close up today, in terms of um, specific examples, maybe some low lifts call to actions for our listeners, whether they are, you know, community-based philanthropists or working for a foundation, you know, what are some actions that they can do now to kind of push this, you know, equity, this collaboration forward uh, in philanthropy? I think, you know, my favorite class in business school was process flow management. And I love it because you're forced to look at barriers and bottlenecks to a process flow. Mm -hmm. So anyone in philanthropy can write down with a piece of paper and and a pen, their process flow for administering grants and identify where are the existing barriers and bottlenecks, and then put your capacity to eliminate those bottlenecks and barriers, Mm -hmm. right? So that you have a, a really smooth flow of resources. I think about like, you know, right now, those barriers and bottlenecks act like dams, right? Mm-hmm. That prevent money from flowing. And if we can just er- eradicate those, money's going to flow all the way to communities who've been chronically underfunded, historically excluded. And let's just get really excited about what's going to grow there, you know, when you're able to really allow your, your, those resources to flow to communities who've, who, who need those resources, who, who aren't getting them. So, I think, you know, take a look at your system. Like there's, there's something really powerful in just knowing where you are today. It's like a just fund. We run equity audits for funders who want mm-hmm. to know. I know that I, I want to be funding more, more of my grant making to go to BIPOC led organizations, but I just don't know what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Our baseline, like getting that kind of data is powerful. Yeah. It's information. And from there you can start to make decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this, there's this um, saying that I've been you know, Wilma um, Mankiller has talked about this before, and it came, it's coming up in my Instagram feeds all over the place, which is be the buffalo <laughs> into the storm. You know, buffaloes are the only animals that actually run into the storm because they know that if they run into the storm, they'll be there the shortest amount of time. 
run away and they stay in the storm the longest, but buffaloes, they run into the storm. So I would say to philanthropy, be the buffalo. Be the buffalo. (laughs) We know that we're, we we have this huge disparity in distribution. We know we're chronically underfunding communities of color and other marginalized communities. Run into the storm. Look at your data. What's going on? Where are your bottlenecks and barriers? And let's start to eliminate them and and let money flow. I love it. Episode title, Be the Buffalo. <laughs> what do you think they're scared of, the the funders? Like if they were to move to this more equitable system? I don't think it's even fear, in mm. my opinion. I think it's just the the systems, the the structures don't lend themselves to do to do mm. to fund this way. Right? You're in a structure where innovation isn't queen, you know? Mm. Fermentation yeah. isn't queen. That's not the North Star. Like, hey, how creative can we get? Right. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know that it's fear. I think that there are a lot of good people. Absolutely. You know, spaces who want to move money and the structures um, aren't and aren't incentivizing them or encouraging them to do so. So you're mm-hmm. stuck in structures that are, <clears throat> you know, forcing you or encouraging you or allowing you to, to operate, you know, under the status quo. So I think when you start to see foundations, again, take a look at your process flow. Where can we experiment, innovate? That's where the fun starts to happen, where you start to see, I mean, you can almost feel the unlocking of capital. Mm -hmm. The walls crumbling and money moving. Like we don't have to have all of these barriers. And when a funder says, I need an audit, I need all of these, I was just talking actually with Heather Infantry from Giving Gap this morning and she was saying, you know, the systems and the structures that we have in philanthropy are just preventing money from flowing in such like real ways. Because when you ask for an audit, when you ask for these budgets, when you ask for these attachments from a group, a lot and the majority of Black-led and Brown-led organizations can't comply. So they can't mm. even, they can't mm. even apply. You need to have $50,000 in your, as, an, as a budget, or you need to have an, an audit. You'd only have to do an audit if you have $2 million or more. So small organizations don't complete an audit. It's expensive. It's time consuming. It's unknown. Like, I don't know how to do an audit. How do I do that? So then you automatically can't qualify. So just taking a look at those systems of like, why isn't money flowing is going to help decide maybe I don't have to do a round of grant making this year with those restrictions. Mm. So kind of speaking to money flowing, you had a visual that you spoke to us about offline, and I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I think we have figured out ways to trap resources, right? So we have like a bunch of dams in our own process flows that keep money um, circulating within certain communities. But if we, for example, break down the barrier of we don't need an audit because we know that's for two organizations with $2 million budgets or more. So who are they? Well, they're not our our, our Black-led organizations. They're 91% smaller than white-led mm-hmm. groups. So eliminating those barriers, more money is going to flow, right? And the more barriers we eliminate, the, the money is going to really flow. And when you think about dams breaking, listen, I have three kids. So how many times have I watched Frozen 2? A lot. How many times have I seen The Lion King? A lot. You know, about, you know, where, how water moves and these resources, you think about these dams breaking and, you know, just this moment in Frozen 2 when the dam breaks and the water actually trickles in to this community that was left basically hostage wow. to the white community because they had no water to, 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 to grow their crops, right? So they had to keep on, they were reliant on this, the white community in Frozen. Mm. When they broke the dam, they could, of course, grow their own resources. They, yeah. There was a 
this dependency and, and they could do what they needed to survive and even thrive as a community. And I think about that visual a lot, you know, um, in terms of how money can flow and why are we restricting dollars from moving to our communities and, and how can we mm. do better? Yeah. Yara, you're freaking fantastic. I love spending time <laughs> with just powerful, intelligent, outspoken women. It's truly my favorite. Um, <laughs> we always just do a little wind down rapid fire uh, with all of our guests um, and would love to pop a couple questions at you, much more casual. Um, first being, what's the last thing you read and was it any good? Oh my gosh. So the book, <laughs> this is not going to be a fun answer at all. <laughs> um, one, the book that I'm obsessed with right now is an older book. It's called Crossing the Chasm. And it's really about, I know this probably isn't the answer you wanted, but um, it's it's called Crossing the Answers. I love it because it talks about, I don't know, I didn't know tech before I started building Dust Fund. So I've had to learn as I go. And this book, you know, really kind of helped me understand um, the evolution of most tech companies and where mm-hmm. tech fail and fall and like implode um, mm-hmm. when they try to cross the chasm from early adopters who are like, you know, you have your visionaries, people who come in, they just jump into the idea. That would be like my emergent fund, the solid mm-hmm. folks who yeah. just, you know, just like, we're just coming in. We don't know what this is, but we love the idea of a company. <laughs> then you have your visionaries, your early adopters who want to use the platform, want to use the common app, but they're cool if like something breaks. Like if it's not better than the current system they're using, they understand they're here for a purpose and something bigger, right? This movement, mm-hmm. we're in that early adopter period. We're going to be here for a while. After that, there's this chasm to early majority, to like mainstream yeah. markets mm-hmm. who want to use your product because it just makes their lives easier, right? Um, and so most tech companies fit cross, when they try to cross that chasm, they they fall down and and go away. <laughs> so like that book has really helped me ground my ground my team, the decisions that we're making, the decision to stay an early adopter for as long as we are, and really try to build that base of folks who want to be here because we want to reset philanthropy for good. Mm. We want to innovate. We want to see what technology can do for us. And we're just excited, you know, by what we see. So that book, Crossing the Chasm, has really been um just my, one of my favorites. See, and oh, that, was amazing. A, that was a that good was a answer. Perfect answer. <laughs> wrote it down. Gonna look into it. Audio <laughs> version, but looking into it. <laughs> what is making your life easier right now? Oh my gosh. So what is making my life easier right now? I will say um, I have an amazing, I have three kids. I have one with multiple disabilities. He is, all my kids are amazing. I have uh, 15 uh, 13 and and just turned 12. And my 13 year old has Down syndrome and he's deaf and he is amazing. All my kids are awesome. But I have a caregiver who just makes my life so much easier, you know, because mm-hmm. I know when I'm here working and being spending time here with you that he's having a uh, uh, well taken care of yeah. and oh. having a good experience, riding his bike, you know, he's mm-hmm. sick with stomach flu right now, but I know that he's being taken care of, you know, mm-hmm. when I can't be with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really makes my life so much easier. Wow. I wish we had childcare for everyone. Everyone should have childcare, right? And access oh, to childcare. Yes. And I think about how grateful I am um, that I can be here, be present with you, mm. um, have this wonderful conversation and, and know that my child's taken care of. 
And the clarity and the calm that that gives. Oh, my gosh. Especially when it comes to your children and knowing that they are good. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, yes. And lastly, what's the last thing that made you laugh? I am so lucky that I have this group of girlfriends here that I, we just are on, you know, our little text thread. We, they crack me up. They are so funny. And really it's about, there's four of us just are constantly making each other laugh, but just, um, just the silliness of like, I'm about to turn 47, you know, we're all kind of, Ooh, you fine, Yara. Okay, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but we just, you know, just making fun of yourself in a lo- in a loving way. We couldn't love each other more. Mm. That's why I think, you know, we just, the jokes on this thread and the silly <laughs> happiness and, you know, it's hard, you mm. know, I, I mean, everything's hard, but, you know, being at this stage in life is also hard, you know, the kids and the work and the, and the, ha- and the things, um, family that you're responsible for all that stuff, but just somehow these women just find humor and I just, they crack me up. I'm so grateful for that little community. Oh, I love that. Shout out to all of our, our lady friends. Oh my gosh. So special. <laughs> keeping us, keeping us afloat, really. Truly. <laughs> what would we do without them? Oh Absolutely. my goodness. Uh, well, Yada, thank you so much for just sharing that your time with us today and your mind and just leading us in this, this conversation, um, really sharing a very real view of where we're at, but where we're headed and there are solutions, they do exist. And there is so much that we can do to be a part of that. And we're just really thankful that you're, you're guiding us. One of our guiding lights in this space. Thank you. And I love what you all are doing. And I mean, you know, just even the, the name of what you're doing, this idea that, Hey, we could just do the, again, to quote frozen Two, we can just do the next right thing. Yes. Right. Just, you don't know what to do. Just do the next right thing. We can just do a little bit of good and all of our little bits of good are going to turn into something really powerful. And I, I mm-hmm. love what you're doing and, and the energy you're bringing and you just allowing us to focus on the positive. Mm. Yeah. We're so <laughs> impressed and honored by your presence and conversation. Thank you so, so much again. Obviously, we definitely hope to have you back again and again and again. <laughs> well, Let I us know. If you're out in the Bay Area, come on over for dinner. I oh, love we're coming. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> Thank you for listening and learning with us today. We hope you feel activated and encouraged to go out to make a difference in your corner of the work. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you left us a rating and review or share us with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at littlebitofgood underscore or at littlebitofgood.org. And we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions about today's conversation. So send us a message at shortchangedpod at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next time on the Short Change Podcast.